Good morning. I'm reading from Philippians 4, 2 through 7. I entreat Elodia, Elodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Peggy. Um, again, uh, my name is Dave. <laughs> if you walked in in the last few minutes or have been gone the last few weeks, um, I want to remind you or just let you know that I have a speech impediment, and um, it'll kind of come in and out as, as we go, and... Um, and, and just want to give you a, a heads up on that. And um, as I said, it's just, it's just good to be back together as a, a church family. Um, we uh, got to be, my son Cooper and I got to be a part of a team that went to Guatemala for um, eight days. And we're actually going to be debriefing. It's nuts that this was uh, two weeks ago this time we were still in Guatemala. And a lot has happened in that, in that time. And so we'll give a, a more thorough update on that. But just want to give a quick report that um, God is at work there. And we are honored and privileged to be a part of it. And um, we're excited to see that, that, that partnership, that relationship continue to foster and grow and, and be shaped. And, um, and just to see the Lord use that to shape us in that. Uh, and it truly is a partnership. And, um, and so with that, um, excited to be back. And just thankful for all the different people God has used and raised up to lead here as I've been gone for three Sundays and it's gone on better than, I mean, there's air now, right? There wasn't even air when I was last here. So um, it's just, it's good to know that we're in God's hands and that he's raised up a solid group of people to lead us. So let's go ahead and pray uh, again as we continue in this series through Philippians. And just a reminder, if um, you've kind of forgotten, we only have a few more weeks in this. And I know it seems like summer is here for a long time still to go. But in terms of the calendar that we follow, the, the fall is going to be kicking off soon. And um, as we get into that, we're going to be walking through the book of Exodus together. So we'll be starting that in a few weeks. And then we'll be in Exodus all the way uh, up until Advent or Christmas season. So that's where we're headed, but let's uh, hunker down here in Philippians 4, and let's pray together. Again, Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you've called us to be your people. That even as we've walked through these last number of, of, of weeks, a um, couple months, we've walked through Philippians, a, a young church growing into their identity of who they are in you, and, and what it means to be the family, the people of God. And, and so, Lord, we just acknowledge we're in a very similar place, that in our own lives, in our own individual circumstances, and also for us as a whole, 
Lord, we pray that you would shape us by the person and work of Jesus and that every detail of our lives would be informed by who you are and what you've done and what you're doing and what you've promised still to do. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So where we're headed in these few verses we're in together this morning in, 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 in chapter 4 of Philippians verses 2 through 7 is this. That the big idea is that we are called to stand firm together and to rejoice together and to walk in peace together. And each of those has, has some themes and again some very practical implications for our lives. But for those of you I say you because I'm not one of you, but those of you who are detailed and take notes and want to follow along and exactly where we are, there you, you can kind of see the direction we're going. But no promises, all right? Don't bind me to that necessarily. Don't, don't, don't squench the spirit. Um, squelch, I just made up a word. Quench and squelch. Squench. So it's been a while, right? I got a little ring rust. No, I actually got to preach at Redemption Gateway last week, which was cool. Um, they have a new building, and it was fun to be a part of that. They actually have three services, so I was wiped out. Um, but uh, it was also it was just fun. But as I said, especially coming back from having been in Guatemala, it's I just felt a sense of like, man, I just want to be with my church family. And so uh, it is. It just feels good to be back here together. So let's pick up. I'm actually going to start out in verse one uh, because it, it makes more s- sense that way. So Paul says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul gets right into it here. And he, he, he goes from, if you see there in, verse, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, I know Joe did a great job last, last week talking about this idea, this imagery of running a race, of persevering or pressing on, or, or now this same idea of standing firm. And there was a, a theme there of really looking out for external threats, right? For, for enemies of the cross, people that would try to add to or take away from the cross of Jesus, and there was, and then it it ended with this kind of like a like a a, a fatherly or a parental or a coach, like hands on the shoulders, eye to eye contact of just I encourage you now, press on. I love you. I'm I'm proud of you. Now now continue. It's not going to be easy, but continue to press on with your eyes fixed on Jesus. And then Joe brought us to an incredible passage, Hebrews chapter 12, that, that has that same imagery of running the race set before us, looking with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so Paul, so, so, so keep that, right? Keep, keep in that moment. If you're there, if you're like me and you love sports or whatever it is, you're getting like, yes, okay, I'm there. Like keep that going because Paul continues now, but he turns the threat less from out there, somewhere out there, some external forces to Listen, I'm also concerned you need to stand firm together. And he calls these two women who I want to point out for a moment. The Philippian church was full of women leaders, met met in the home of a woman. It was started and formed. Women were gathering together and were praying. And now he calls out these two women who are not just kind of, you know, different people on the sidelines. They are leaders, influencers, 
And, and, he, and he points them out and says, I'm concerned because there's disunity among you. And, and there's this reality that leaders, right? Leaders influence whole cultures, whole communities of people, whether that's in the home, wherever that might be, right? We just got to give a charge to the Merkel family. That, that, and, and I got to mention, right, the gift to their daughter is that their parents would be unified. That they would stand together. Not that they wouldn't fight. Not that they wouldn't have disagreements or things like that. But that they would be able to stand on a firm foundation, which they can't provide on their own. That is the foundation of Christ. And that that will help provide and create an environment for their daughter to thrive in, to flourish in, to grow in. That's the same kind of context here. Um, how many of you have seen, now if, you're, if you don't raise your hand, I will call you out and then um, encourage you to watch this movie. But how many of you have seen the movie Remember the Titans? I'm now aware, like those of us, many of us, we're old if we saw that in the theaters. I remember seeing that in the theaters. I was an RA in Kaibab, Huachuca at the U of A, and we went as RAs to watch this in the theaters. So I remember that a long time ago. Well, there's a scene um, when my wife and I first got married, we got this groundbreaking contraption called a DVD player. A bunch of our friends chipped in together, right, because poor college students, and they cost a lot because it was such cutting-edge technology. We got a DVD player, and um, we would go to the Walmart bin and buy, like, DVDs that, that were cheaper, right? And so we had a couple. I won't tell you all of them, but one of them was, remember, the Titans, and we would watch that movie over and over and over and over again because we didn't have cable. There was no Netflix, right? So you guys, no Amazon Prime, no Hulu, none of this stuff. Um, we had like dial-up Wi-Fi. So anyway, we would watch Remember the Titans over and over again. Incredible movie. Well, there's this scene that's kind of a turning point where some of you guys know this language, right? Left side, strong side. Elliot, I saw you there and I... Yes, and he's an actual football player, unlike me, so he actually knows what that means. But there's this beautiful former football player, I should say, in case, amen. Um, but so, so there's this incredible scene that there is, there is division going on, and the captain, Gary Bershears, is calling out one of the other players who's African-American, and Gary's white, and that's a significant part of the whole dynamic in the moon movie, huge part. And he's as their and their leaders respectively for their communities, if you will, that they're both a part of. And Gary's calling out Julius and he says, That's the most selfish thing I've ever heard. And then Julius says, Well, you, you you're the captain, right? And he's like, Yeah. He says, Well, attitude reflects leadership. And he, and, he, and he recognized, listen, we're both leaders, and you're the leader, you're the captain, and you're allowing injustice, racism to go on by other white players. And so they have this whole thing. He said, why don't you do something and lead in such a way that will impact all of our attitudes? And then the next scene, Gary does exactly that, and he calls out his friend Ray and knocks him down, and it's, it's this cool scene. Don't get me started. And... <laughs> In fact, my wife, who if you guys know her and her stature, it's pretty funny. We still sometimes to each other will say left side, strong side. It's kind of part of our romantic language with each other. 
Praise God for such a wife as this. Who, uh, um, but this scene, right? Left side, strong side, and everything from there on out. If you've seen the movie, and if not, again, shame on you, and please go see the movie. Um, <laughs> There's everything from there and out is about this team being unified. They go through it together. They come up with a dance together. They entered, they stand up for each other, all these things. And it comes back to this idea of leaders being unified, standing firm together. And everything that Paul has said about the foundational good news of Jesus, who you are, Remember from last week, you belong to Jesus. He's called you his own. Paul's, again, coach or pastoral charge and encouragement. Live into your identity. Run this race more dependent on Jesus. Not less, but more. Run with the strength and the power that he gives you through the finished work that he has already accomplished. Now, all of that is true and good and go. And then it says, but you've got to be in it together. You've got to be unified together. You have to be individually, individually dependent on Jesus. And, he, and this is so important, right, that he calls others out to it. He says, he says, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side in the gospel. And this is a point where I just want us to recognize Paul is not interested in playing church. He's not interested in keeping their little spat over here neat and clean. And, oh, well, these people take communion at this table and these people take it over there. And and never the two shall meet because, you know, that's an issue and that's ugly. But we're just going to keep it all buttoned up and cleaned up and not have this, not acknowledge that that's saying something about the person and work of Jesus. It's not something good. It's, it's, it's broken, it's ugly, it's messy, and we just kind of don't know what to do with that, so we just want to keep it there. Well, Paul says, no, no, call that out. Okay, l- let me say, those of you who have gone through the church membership process here know that when we talk about church discipline, we try to explain, yes, there's a formal process of that, and we always go straight to, oh, it's up in front, it's normally the way we experience it's some kind of a sexual sin that's being outed in front of everyone and everyone's told and it's this whole process and hopefully we don't ever have to have that though if we have to we will but that's like the last the very end point church discipline is so much more that we would never see it's, 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 Dave, the way you talk to someone else on the staff team at a staff meeting, I want to just say that didn't reflect the humble, long-suffering leadership of Jesus. I think, I think that we need to bring that up within our team or it's, hey, within our community, our small group, our redemption community, I, sometimes the way you talk to your spouse is really degrading and really disrespectful. And, and I just want to let you know, I, over the years, I've loved getting to know you, and I've seen that. And, and, I, and, and I just want to call you to that in love. And, and sometimes it's like, seem, it's even just right there in the moment. It's, it's again, uh, as, as spouses, as roommates, as friends, it's, it, it, what does it look like? You're, again, your identity in Jesus, dead to sin, raised again to new life in him. This doesn't reflect that. And I love you too much to just, again, play church, to just kind of let it go. That's the scenario here. That's the situation that Paul is calling this young church to. And it's important enough 
Because again, we are called together to say something that is true about God. And it's worth digging into. It's worth discomfort. I was actually thinking this. It also has a positive expression. All right, we, we hear this and we only think of negative, negative, negative. You want to see something really, un, someone really uncomfortable? Encourage them, <laughs> right? Like just say, hey, I just want to let you know I've, I've seen this. I've seen how you serve. I've seen behind the scenes when you set up the communion table, when you clean up the crackers that the kids spilled after and this and that, and, and you do it with a smile on your face. I just want to let you know I've seen that and I'm encouraged by that. Right? Even that sometimes we're like, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. We don't say nice things. We don't say hard things. We, don't, we just kind of keep it, keep it clean and neat. And Paul is calling the, this young church out of that. He's calling others. He's saying, listen, you see it too. It shouldn't have to come from my mouth. Call these two out. It's significant. Their leadership and leadership impacts culture. Okay, hold us as a church staff team, as a leadership to this. A lot of how we function, we do community time. As elders, we talk about fit and connectedness and relationship. And again, such that there is an environment, a, a, a climate, if you will, that's conducive to this kind of honest candor. That's the term we use, a culture of candor. And again, the idea in the picture here is because you're, you're saying something true, you're on display. And Paul says, if you notice there in verse 3, ultimately, most foundationally, do this because your names are written in the book of life. You belong to Jesus. He's made you his own. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, through his present rule and reign over all things right now, he has reconciled us to God. He's reconciled us to ourselves. He's reconciled us to one another. So how we operate, how we live, reflects who he is and what he's done. Saying, because your names are written in the book of life, live like it in your relationships with each other. Stand firm as reconciled people together. And then he goes on, and now he talks about what that looks like, rejoicing together. Okay, pick up in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'm going I'm to camp out in verse 6 in a moment, but first, again, he hammers on that theme of who you are being recognizable to others. Um, I was going to show you a picture, but I didn't get this person's permission first, so I'm not going to. But I'm also kind of glad because she's throwing up this really offensive hand signal that some of you that went to Arizona's other second university know. This silly little spork. People make like a spork thing with their hand, and it looks silly. Well, this girl is doing it in it. Well, those of you that went to Guatemala with me know what I'm talking about. We had been in Guatemala, tired, hot, sweaty, exhausted, excited to get back and all that. And we're back and we go to our gate and what's there to greet us or who's there to greet us? Like 30 people wearing ASU gear. It's like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? And 
but being good neighbors, we asked, you know, who are you guys? And one person spoke up. I mean, they all were, you know, they're nice enough, but one, one, one gal, and I didn't expect much, by the way. Well, one gal blew my expectations. And this is actually a positive illustration, by the way. I'm using, so I know you can't tell yet. But no, in all honesty, this one gal, her name's Izzy. Um, she just spoke up and said, yeah, we're actually Arizona State soccer team. We're traveling in Mexico, playing in a, on a different kind of playing professional soccer teams. And um, we're also putting on camps and clinics. And we got to share, oh, we're in Guatemala. And she was really interested in what we were doing, even after they heard that we were from U of A or from, sorry, from Tucson. Some of you I know aren't from U of A. But just hang in there. You will be. But no, they, we're from Tucson and we had U of A gear and all this stuff. And she was just nice. She was a very nice girl. Well, then a couple hours later, we're on the plane. I'm just sitting there with my son and she's behind us, the same girl. And I hear this tone and this way she's talking with these, these, this older couple in her aisle. And she was tired and I knew it. And this couple was talking a lot. And she was nice. She was answering every question. She was engaged in really encouraging conversation. And after a couple of minutes, I just turned around and said, hey, have you, are you involved with like fellowship of Christian athletes or athletes in action? And she was like shocked, like, what? Yeah. And, and you know, um, and, and that is a picture. Like she didn't, she was like, what? Yeah. What do you, yes, actually I am. Like, how did you know? And I was like, I could tell. I could tell that there's something different about your spirit. Um, very different from all your teammates and everyone else that wears that silly logo. But no, just, just kidding. That's, I'll stop. But, but honestly, like in all, and I know that's not, that's not true. It's not about ASU, U of A, whatever. There was something different. There was a reasonableness. There was something about her posture, her spirit, how she interacted with others that, that just stood out, that demanded an explanation, and, and I, of course, thought, okay, if, you're, if she didn't know what those were, I'd take an opportunity and share with her about them. And, you know, I was, um, but I just thought, like, I, there's, a, there's a pretty good chance that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, just being nice, just having a smile on your face, whatever, that's not enough. And that doesn't what it means. But again, there's something that hopefully as a pastor I can be keen to and aware of that just said, you, you follow Jesus. I, I see Jesus through your interactions, even before you say something about him. And, and that was true of this young woman. And it was actually cool. She actually goes to Redemption Tempe, and she, like, knows the lead pastor, Ricardo. That's why we took a picture, because I sent it to him. And it was cool. We went back and forth on that. And it, was, it was an in, actually ended up being very encouraging. But this young girl was a picture a reminder to me. Like we're saying something about who we say we follow, what we say we believe, how we say we relate with each other as God's people, how we say we ought to relate with other people. And God's on display. And and, and that's a, a charge here. And that's part of why he's calling out these two influencers of this church. He says, listen, remember, you're, you're saying something about who you follow. And then in verse 6 and in verse 4 earlier, right, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then it goes down to verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. I, I want to camp out here for a moment, church, and for all of us. 
but especially those of us who more pointedly, more knowingly would say, yeah, I, I deal with different levels of anxiety or depression. But again, for all of us, I think this is important because this, and also one back in chapter 3, but this verse, specifically chapter 4, verse 6, is one that is often used by people, I think in a very simplistic manner within the church, to say, counseling, therapy, who needs it? That's the world. I'm not of this world. I just rejoice always, and I just choose to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, I let my request be made known to God and just move on. And, and this kind of really flippant, simplistic, I would say shallow understanding of the gospel that leads us to this idea that we don't have depth, that we don't have real difficulty, and that the effects of sins that we've committed, or in often cases that have been done against us, or that we've witnessed, that we've been a part of, that those things need to be informed and shaped by the good news of Jesus. And that is not always. In fact, often not. Just a quick magic wand. Oh, abracadabra, there it's gone. It's easy. That the re- like, that's not helpful, right? If you're here and you're new to this whole church thing, My hope is that you will see the real implications of the person and work of Jesus. That when we talk about living out the gospel, speaking the gospel to one another, when we talk about the implications of Jesus laying his life down on the cross and raising from the dead and then right now sitting on a throne and saying, behold, I'm making all things new, that we would be saying, what does that look like in real life? And that church, the Bible wouldn't, in many cases, continue to be the last place we would look. That as we consider anxiety, we would ask, what does that really look like to ultimately not be anxious about anything? What would it look like to have prayer and supplication and thanksgiving be the requests that I make known to God Not just an intellectual idea out there, but a God who actually cares. A God who delights in hearing from me. Who wants me to make my request known to him. Who wants me to acknowledge the anxieties that are very real to me. And to bring those before him. What does that look like? Um, Well, one guy comes to mind in particular from our church who I've gotten to know over the last couple months. And he shared part of his story is... um, He's walked through anxiety for a long time in his life. Like as far back as he can remember, there would be nights where he struggled sleeping and where he would have accusations and he would feel shame and he would feel guilt and he would process through why, why is that? And his parents who, who, who loved Jesus and who he grew up in a home that they, he was dig- dedicated and his home is saturated in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They're doing all the right things. And yet he still is someone that would say, I have walked with anxiety and it's a significant part of my story. And unless something drastically changes, and I hope it does, I've kind of resigned to accept it might always be like this. The rest of my life might have times that I don't know when they're going to come, when they're going to go. Sometimes it'll seemingly come out of nowhere. I've had a great day, and then all of a sudden I can't sleep at night, and I'm anxious. And if we just give a flippant, simplistic, oh, don't be anxious, just rejoice. Like He's like, yeah, I, I know the passage. 
I've memorized it. I've memorized the whole chapter, the whole book. So again, we need to be willing to say, what does it actually look like? Well, what he shared is he processed through this idea with me. And thankfully, I have some in my own family who I, I don't understand, and yet I love them, and I want to see them walking in thanksgiving and rejoicing in spite of or in light of the fact that they're anxious. What he said is, I've just learned that's part of my walk with Jesus. He said, I've learned that in those moments I, I, when I can't sleep at night and I don't know when it's going to come, I just, well, I guess I'm going to have some time with Jesus that I didn't necessarily plan for. He said, now what it looks like for him is he, he says, um, I guess the intellectual confessional faith I have that I sing about, that I know about in my mind, it's going to become a little more real to me this night. As I go before the Lord, as I make my request known to him, as I share with him my need for him, as I, as I inspect my life and I look for the ways I can be thankful, even though I don't feel like it in this moment. And then he said, that shapes me. And this is an incredibly godly, mature, far beyond his years young man. I can't tell you how encouraged I was for my own family, for my own heart, for us as a church to have people like that that don't just turn the other way, that don't feel ashamed to share their story, but to say, I, I, I know anxiety more than I would like to admit, more than I wish was true, but it's actually turned into something that has shaped my faith in Jesus. What would it look like for us, church, to have a climate, a culture, uh, relationships like that? Now, let me say also, first and foremost, he says, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to also acknowledge for many of us, and especially in the culture, cultural climate we're in, there is a danger of going to the other extreme and having Jesus and his sovereignty and the things we have to be grateful for and this concept of rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing because we've been found in him. There are there is a danger of that being like way low on the priority list or the, one of the last things we go to or even one of the last things we say to one another. So I want to acknowledge there's a tension here, right? We don't want to, on the one hand, just give these verses here. Take two of these and move on. It doesn't matter. Your anxiety isn't real. Your fears aren't real. Just have more faith. Just sprinkle it on. Just muster it up. Like, okay, we don't want to be that. But on the flip side, we don't want to be afraid to go to these verses together. We don't want to be afraid to say, what, what would it look like to still rejoice while weeping? What would it look like to be thankful while anxious and to run to Jesus? I think that's something, that's the depth of what Paul is calling this young, vulnerable church to and us here together as well, to rejoice on a foundational level. And then ultimately, in this last verse here, verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God. Again, let's recognize there are so many other messages in our world today on the radio 
ads. I drove past a yoga studio on the way here, and yoga can be great and good and help you be limber. I'm not really patient enough for it, to be honest with you, um, but I might have to get there because I'm really stiff and getting older. But like those things can be good, right? Or different, different things, different methods, different processes. Those can all be good, but we have to always recognize it cannot replace a peace that only comes from God. A peace that only comes from a brutal, shameful death. And then, after that, a victorious resurrection. That kind of peace is real, is palpable, has depth, has substance. That kind of depth, that kind of peace meets us in the middle of the night when we don't know what to do. We go back to Jesus in the garden, sweating blood before his father. Anxious, you think? Probably. Did he just quote this verse to himself, hey, don't be anxious, rejoice. Oh yeah, you're right, my bad, go on. No, what does he do, right? He goes to the Father, he brings his anxiety, and yet somehow he rejoices in a sense of saying, not my will, but your will. This peace that only comes from God. Peace, right, is, oh, tie-dye. They have make, by the way, they make tie-dye frappuccinos now. I don't know what that's even all about. I don't know if you saw that, right? But just aside, right? I'm getting old because now I'm really critiquing the culture around me, what young people are doing. But, right, we think peace, we think that, right? We think two fingers up here is peace. No, peace in the biblical concept is shalom. It's a, it's a full, rich, deep word that means all things the way they should be. Think with me, before sin, imagine a world where sin had never entered into. Before sin came in, the world the way it's not supposed to be, fully reconciled to God, fully reconciled to self, right? Some of us, that hits home the most. Imagine looking in the mirror. Imagine relating with yourself fully at peace, full reconciliation, no critique, no what if, no when I lose these inches, when I do this, when I, n none of that. Peace with others as it ought to be. Peace with the world around us in every way. And then imagine the promise we get in Scripture that one day Jesus will bring that about. One day Jesus says a lion and a lamb will lay down together. Until he comes and makes that happen, that should be a crazy image to us, right? That's not like, but that's the kind of peace he brings full, all-encompassing peace. And his message here is that peace, which is unfathomable. Lion and lamb snuggling up, spooning together, right? Like, that's crazy. It surpasses all understanding. He says that peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Okay, it, it, again, think of anxiety, worry, struggle, real life, real ground level stuff here. Jesus says your, your hope in that is a peace. And, and this is in a Roman colony, right? There's military. We got to hear from some military idea. They're picturing a Roman garrison, shield, swords, like we're guarding this. You're not, you shall not pass, right? You're not coming through this. Well, something even greater than that, Jesus um, or Paul taps into this peace of God which comes through Jesus that surpasses all understanding, guarding you, protecting you. In that moment when you can't sleep, when you're anxious. In that moment when you're questioning your identity. You're questioning whether or not God accepts you. 
You're questioning how you can get through the turmoil that is so real in your home and your relationships. He says, look to the peace that comes through the person and work of Jesus, which surpasses all understanding. That'll protect you. That'll guard you. Tapping back into last week, that will help you to press on, to continue to run the race. Let me read one quote before we end here by um, the, uh, this, the, the, the singer from this band, Rung, Rung, whoever's in Rung, Robots, Glenn Pacquiam. He says this, Yes, the world is in chaos. All is not, it should, is not as it should be. Again, sometimes we need to acknowledge that, say that. But be still for a moment and you will see God is in charge. He is the Lord of the wind and the waves. And one day he will utter the words that make the storm to cease at last. And all shall be well. Peace will come. He's saying, let that reality, let that truth, hear me, church, let that promise shape you now. As you stand firm together, you rejoice together, and you walk in peace together as God's people. Let's now pray together. Again, Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this idea of family. Thank you that we can be real together. Thank you that we can acknowledge our desperate need for you. Lord, I pray that um, I don't know every need in here, in this room right now. I don't know every story but God, you know, um, Lord, people who are walking in anxiety, people that the idea of reconciliation seems impossible. The idea of peace and thanksgiving and rejoicing seems impossible. And yet, Lord Jesus, who you are and what you've done surpasses our understanding. And so we pray that through your spirit, now you would lead us to hope, to rejoicing, to the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.